Hello, welcome to Changes. My name is Annie McManus. I'm so happy to tell you that our guest on this week's episode is the musical chameleon and utter legend that is Damon Albarn. Way back uh, in the mid 90s I was a huge huge Blur fan. It was the first time I ever kind of felt part of something in the way that being a music fan can provide you know that tribal aspect um, us against the world. Uh, I really felt seen and heard by Blur's songs and albums. I came to Modern Life is Rubbish first then went back to Leisure retrospectively and And then when Parklife came around in 1994, that was it. That was the kind of pinnacle. It was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Definitely, maybe by Oasis got released in the same year and an era was defined. Britpop was the term. Uh, Blur became synonymous with the 90s. Of course, so much has happened since then. Blur released eight studio albums in all. Then Damon went on to co-found Gorillaz with Jamie Hewlett and so over 25 million records with them worldwide still releasing records under the gorillas guise Damon, between Blur and Gorillaz, has won a huge number of awards, including a Grammy and six Brit Awards. He's a prolific collaborator as well, forming various bands like The Good, The Bad and The Queen with Paul Simonon of The Clash, Simon Tong of The Verve and Tony Allen of Fela Kuti's band. He also had a band called Rocket Juice and The Moon, again with Tony Allen and Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's worked with The Strokes, Bobby Womack, De La Soul, so many more. He's created film scores, composed an opera... He's also channeled a lot of his activism through music. He's one of the people behind the Africa Express movement, which is a platform for exchanges between African and Western musicians. It was kind of born off the back of his disgust at, at the Live Aid movement, not really showing or including any musicians from Africa. And for years, Damon has um, encouraged plane loads of prominent pop stars and producers from the UK and beyond to go to Mali and collaborate with local musicians on the ground there. Damon is 53 now with a grown-up daughter and spends his time between London and Devon and Iceland where he's just received Icelandic citizenship and he is as busy as ever. His latest solo album, The Nearer the Fountain, More Pure the Stream Flows, has had rave reviews and is out now. He's going to be touring it at the end of February. We met at Damon's studio in West London. I cycled down one morning before Christmas And he was a little late, so I got led up to his studio and I, and I sat there and I had some time to take it all in. It's kind of room on, on the top floor of, of a building. It's all black with bookshelves over the whole of one wall and lots of beautiful old synths and guitars and odd-looking instruments. And outside one window there was skyscrapers with a train track underneath and outside the other window was the road. So you will hear the sounds of a train trundling by every now and again. And uh, we had the most wonderful conversation. I really hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed being part of it. I started off the conversation by asking Damon what he was like as a teenager. I mean, shy, insecure, very competitive insecurity and competitiveness are a kind of they're a rare uh, elixir for a, for for a teenager mm. um so 
I probably came across sometimes as a bit a bit difficult and odd. Mm. But you kind of need that sort of weirdness to mm. to stand out. Yeah, and, and to then, push and, yourself. And, 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 and force yourself, yeah. And then it's, you know, because I used to get bullied at school a lot, partly, well, the, my parents never had any sympathy for me, ever. In, in being bullied? No. Wow. Never. Let's just say it's your fault. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. As a parent now, like, uh, how do you compute that? I know. It's interesting. It's a, it was a very different world. Um, yeah, they said you bring it on yourself. It was very good for me. I'm really glad that they were like that, in a sense. Right. You know, at, the, at times I remember feeling there was some, you know, it just wasn't fair that they wouldn't. Mm. I, I, I wasn't afforded that kind of sympathy. But it wasn't like that they were cold or anything with me, not, not, not at all. But just in that context, they were like, what did you do to get hit? Okay. <laughs> and what did you do? In nothing the really, nothing really. I mean, I just... You see, I think the problem with me was that I had been a very ordinary, standard East End London kid up until the age of 10. I'd come to a very multicultural school in Leytonstone. I didn't stand out at all. I was just one of one of many. And um, I lived in a terrace, small terrace house, uh, Jamaican family on one side and a Pakistani family on the other side. And then 1976, that summer when everyone in the East End came out and went to the Wanstead Flats, and, right. uh, Epping Forest and had picnics, and London got to know itself that, mm. that summer. It was amazing. Yeah, well, tell me the context. 76, was we had nearly three months of uninterrupted, blistering heat. Oh, right. It's the wow. most incredible summer ever. Wow, yeah. I mean, now it, it would be viewed as something terrible, you know, yeah. but then it was a cause for great happiness. Yeah. <laughs> so you would have been, what, eight? Uh, yes, I was eight. Then I went to Turkey. And while I was there, because I didn't go with my parents, I went with a friend of my parents. I travelled all the way around Turkey and... Wow. ...became quite feral, really, to be honest with you. Mm. Started to pick up Turkish and then when I got back my parents had moved with my younger sister to rural Essex which in itself was wonderful like you know they'd managed to sell a really small terrace house for like 14,000 pounds I think and uh, then they bought a dilapidated medieval bakery in a little village which had to be completely renovated but that became their project for the next 10 years but I was cast into a completely white, quite conservative society. And I didn't fit in at all. Mm. I think one of the idiotic things I did on my first day at primary school, I uh, ate a ladybird. Right. Stuck with me until I was 18. <laughs> He's weird. <laughs> he eats ladybirds. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good, though. <laughs> it's true. It's so brilliant. It's you just going in there being like, okay. This yeah, is look at this. Hey, this guys, is, watch listen, this. Listen, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to eat a fucking ladybird, <laughs> and this is who I am, so deal with it. 
Anyway, and then every so it's, and, and 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 it was like a golem. I created my own golem and everything. Yeah. Everything that followed that was like when I started playing the violin. That added to the. Oh, he's, he's ladybirds and he plays the violin. Uh, food sometimes I bring in in my sandwiches. It's got yeah. weird food. Right. I mean, I never forget the day that there was a, a, a Syrian kid who came to the school, like the only person right. of colour yeah. in, in, in the school. Yeah. Uh, and I remember in his, in his uh, lunchbox he had halloumi and olives. I said, these are my things. Yeah. These are things I eat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We've got to be friends. Finally, we can We've relate. Got, I've yeah. got someone I can relate to. <laughs> and, it, and yeah, and then just went on and on like that. And then, um, yeah, and I was in school productions. I didn't like that. I did The Boyfriend, Oh, A Lovely War, West Side Story, right. Guys and Dolls. And then what happened? What was the, what was the thing that broke the camel's back as far as everyone just really dislike me oh yeah I started going out with the uh, head girl who was two years older than me when I was right. 16 and right. they really that, they like that, that that was it it was like he even does that he does all of that and he still know. gets the head girl yeah oh and there was another there was another crucial moment where I went down to um, crucial only in my yeah my little yeah, life yeah but we are to I yeah, I'm, I've got a, I've got a mic in front of me, so mm. I suppose. Mm. Uh, I remember um, I went down and got my ear pierced in Carnaby Street, and I came back to school and went into my form room. And when the teacher left, all these lads got me against the wall and started roughing me up, and then ripped my earring out of my ear. Wow. Uh, wasn't anything unusual. This mm. is the sort of thing people did, and they didn't they? Like, you know, there was a lot of, you know, you're gay. I had a lot of that as well. Mm. You, mm. Uh, but like two or three weeks later, they all had earrings. So <laughs> all of this bullying. One of my point is that all of this bullying and kind of sort of outsiderness was mm. was, and with my parents not in, not indulging me with any. Oh, poor Damon. Yeah. I actually turned into a very positive energy. Yeah. I suppose I had a kind of, it was like, it, it all came back to me. Part of my indignance when, when Noel and Liam tried to cast me as a public school boy mm. was based on, was if based you on only knew yeah. what the shitty school I went to and get anywhere near a, anything private. It's and like, did you ever want to not say that at the time? Ah, like, it's no point. Be, listen, you... Been yeah. around yeah. long enough to realise once dies are cast, you can't. You know, I, I, uh, it's still a perception of me as I went. I went to private school. Mm. Can I ask about your mum and dad? So they yeah. moved you to the country. That was obviously like a huge change for you. Mm. How was it for them? Do you think mm. they did they like it? Yeah. Well, my dad continued to work at a North East London Polytechnic for a while, and then he ended up working in Colchester but my mum loved it my mum had grown, grown up in the countryside it was really beautiful I mean yeah. I, it, in that sense it was 
you know, I just transformed from being a proper urban kid into this sort of blissfully... I was in my own world. I had a river at the end of the garden. Wow. I used to go fishing. I was mm. obsessed with ornithology. Mm. I used to collect things. Mm. I even had a little um, museum, which occasionally I'd open up to the public. I don't think anyone ever came. I wouldn't mind having a little museum. I was a metal detectorist as well. Were you? Yeah, oh, yeah. God, my son wants one for Christmas. Oh, metal detecting. I've, I mean, now I could afford a really, really, really... Fuck off, fuck off metal detect you know the one <laughs> why not one I could find a, a, a Saxon hoard with but yeah. um, no get, I, I go do some mudlarking down on the Thames yeah I did used to do that so fast forward then to you becoming enormously famous having the context of you as a kid there you were competitive so there was an ambition I suppose to be successful but were you prepared for the level of exposure that came uh, well it's, ne- it's never what you think it's going to be uh, it didn't come too quickly either. It was with our third record, yeah. you know, so yeah. did quite a lot of work. And you did a lot of and touring done, in America, I'd right? done a lot of touring in America, a lot of really unsuccessful touring as mm. well, you know. At one point, our first manager left us, but he also left us bankrupt, unfortunate, but I'm not the first or will be the last person that a manager's done that to. Mm. So we had to do this ridiculous tour because uh, someone gave us a merchandising deal just to sell t-shirts but back in those days that was that was kind of the way you made money yeah early on yeah uh, but it, it required us doing like 60 dates or something ridiculous like that mm. and when no one knew who we were in america so we were just i mean it was just a pure numbers game mm. horrible but i suppose what came out of that was this thing this energy this sort of brought back this kind of huge fear of uh, uh, America and turned it into modern life is rubbish and then mm. part life mm. you know, which <clears throat> people always seem to think that, that those records were a celebration of, uh, of Britishness not at all Complete, it was just a satire it was like a sort of it was a sort of dystopian mm. kind of vision of the future mm. you know what we would become mm. and you know a lot of it has actually uh come to pass kind of preparation for this interview it's been mad because it's afforded me to look back at me as a teenager mm-hmm. and this fucking crazy obsessive Blur fan and trying to dissociate my like obsession with Blur with yeah. me sitting here now talking to you yeah and like it always felt looking at you then that there was a kind of you were entertained by the whole thing but you to could degree, take it or yeah. leave it, if you know what yeah, I mean. Definitely like, as opposed to everyone else, oh, you were yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like, "This is this is fun for the moment, but at any point I can, do, I'm gone." Yeah, it felt like that. Yeah, and also I didn't do cocaine for the whole of the nineties. What? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's unbelievable because 
no, no, I say, no, I'm in shock. All right, maybe right at the end, the late, late, late 90s, but the, all of that period. So Park Life, Modern Life is yeah. British Park Life. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. No, because uh, I'd done a little bit, I, I remember where it was. It was uh, somewhere in Islington, and I thought, oh, this is nice. Then I'd gone back home, and I had really awful panic attack walking back from Colchester, like really, really bad. Right. And I've been to a doctor and they said, uh, you've disturbed your heart rhythm. You've, you've given yourself yeah. a chemically induced arrhythmia. Yeah, God. Uh, don't do any more of that for a while, son. So I didn't do it. Maybe anything. that's the best so, thing that ever happened I to know, you. I so, know. So when everyone else was doing it, I, I mean, I was getting drunk, don't get mm. me wrong, but mm. I never, I didn't do any of it. So, yeah, I wasn't in that in a way. I was wow. in a different, different world. Different headspace. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. Um, I mean, obviously, then I got into other things later on. But uh, no, no, no. Funnily enough, I wasn't doing cocaine. I must have been the only person who wasn't. Wow, wow. Was there a moment in all of that shit when you were like, I'm I'm out, I don't want to be part of this thing. I don't want to be part of being Uh, caricatured, you know. Well, partly it was because Graham didn't deal with it very well. So Alex went completely... Alex loved it so much... I mean, so much. Uh, you know, if I... I mean, he really, really did have a fantastic time. Yeah. You know what I mean? No question about no it. Uh, Graham didn't have so, such a fantastic time and, and alcohol. He's just one of those unfortunate people that when he drinks, he changes personality. Yeah. So he just can't drink. So it was kind of sort of, you know, between those two extremes of Graham and Alex, mm. it... Yeah, it felt like, well, this is this just is not going to last much longer anyway. Mm. You know, when you're so interdependent on each other as you are when you're in a young band, because you, you've come as teenagers and then suddenly you've got accountants and mm. bank accounts and houses and managers and fans, and it's like, what the fuck? Mm. How did that happen? So I kind of always knew that it wasn't going to last forever. And I suppose, you know, I'd never really... I got into it and I totally became it and lived it. Uh, but, you know, it was really Graham who was into indie music and into all of that. It wasn't me. Um, I was much more eclectic. Well, we, yeah, we, we learned that. Yeah. We learned no, that so, pretty quick. So, so, in a sense, when that started to kind of sort of break down naturally and there was all these spaces to start trying other things and mm. that's what I did mm. I was watching that Gorillaz film that, that came out in 2007 or 2008 one of them and there's a there's Bananas a, that's it there's, <laughs> a, there's, there's, a, there's a clip of an interview with Joe Wiley I can't remember the exact quote so I'm not going to try and quote it back to pretty you pretty wild times I mean Jamie Hewlett was pretty wild yeah I mean, he comes I across as that absolutely yeah. loved living and hanging out with Jamie he was yeah. so much fun he was exactly the person I needed in my life at that time you yeah. know what I mean he was just he was smart fun irreverent yeah different and all those things and so he was the perfect person to do stuff with yeah there's a line in that in that <clears throat> film where you're talking to Joe Wiley you're saying oh yeah we're going to do another album but then I've got another Blur album and then we've got to go out to Mali and it's it was kind of a, a, a very good kind yeah. of snapshot of the kind of level of 
busyness that you had and what your brain was filled with. And yeah. Joe Wiley was like, you're literally rocking as you're talking. You're kind of saying this and you're like, <laughs> and, and then you talk about, you said something about the day when you wake up and you realise it's only about the music yeah. is the best day ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, I still have that. It's fun watching the the start of the gorillas when you just like oh, you're literally a, like a fucking kid in a sweet shop. Yeah, you're just like, it, I'm gonna get this guy and this guy and this guy. It was incredible. I mean, if you think, it's like I went from being in a big Britpop band to being massive globally, like in yeah, in like America, all those places America, that didn't work, in, in, yeah, all the places yeah. that hadn't worked worked this time and record sales like in a different league yeah. once you get america obviously yeah it's a different world mm. so that was you doing exactly what you wanted without any sort of uh kind of agenda in terms of like the business side of it just doing something out of pure yeah pure love and passion and then it was yeah. the biggest commercial success yeah. you'd had in your career yeah, yeah 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 and then it got even bigger started with uh, Jamie and I hanging out with each other living living in a flat and uh, for some reason I suppose it's the kind of thing you do when you're two 30 year olds mm. I bought the world's biggest television at that point which was uh, massive it was like the first ever f- flat screen right but for some reason it insisted you watched eight things simultaneously at all times uh, uh, what do you mean like it's split screen yeah massively though so okay yeah, right but it was massive it, it, like when you're watching cctv or something and you yeah see yeah yeah basically okay. yeah 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 all these things which we take for granted now were so new back then yeah you know, that sort of idea that you could do that mm. never existed before so we watched a lot of television and you could play computer games as well and watch tv around the world you know it was mm. Uh, and we just one day said, oh, come on, let's do something. So I went and did a tune, and he went and did a picture. And then the next day, we put them together, and I went to to show Tony Wadsworth, who was the head of Parlophone then, the wonderful Tony Wadsworth. And he kind of signed it on the spot. Where? From <laughs> just a picture and a, and like and a, a, a concept tune. Like, this is mm. the sort of thing I'm going to do. And then, you know, from there it was, yeah, it was very, very quick. Mm. Very, very quick. Mm. Mm. You seem to, um, when you zoom out and look at what you've done in your career, it's just constant U-turns. Yeah. Well, not even you, you're not going back on yourself. You're always moving forwards, but it's it's kind of Well, what is forward? I mean, what's forward, what's backwards, what's side? I mean, I don't really see it. Out, you're moving outwards. I don't see it in those terms anymore. I just try and keep myself challenged, you know. Yeah. 
What was um, becoming a dad like in the middle of all that? Well, I mean, not ideal becoming a dad when you're suddenly becoming really successful. Mm -hmm. There's uh, a clip in the video of, of your daughter oh, yeah, on your knee. Yeah, I know. With in a session. Ibrahim Ibrahim, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's still pretty much like that. You know yeah. what I mean? She's, she's always comes to my gigs. She's always been Does she? Yeah. She's at fashion college now. Right. Very serious about it. The scrutiny levels are quite high on me. Right. In terms of what, what you're wearing, just what you're putting out there? Just everything. Am I ever going to be allowed to cross the bridge to social media? I don't think so. Does she want you to? No, she won't. Okay. She says it's going to be a disaster if I do it. <laughs> I tried to do it in lockdown. There was something that was really fucking me off. So I thought, I'm going to go on, I'm going to start an Instagram account. This is it, I'm doing it, I'm starting. And I got as far as giving myself a name, and I heard this scream downstairs. And and then some running upstairs, and she ran in, ran into the room I was in and cut my phone and threw it away <laughs> before. I could. She knew. She, she's really, oh my god! It's funny. Yeah, wow. It's funny. Um, so no, probably uh, never. It will never happen. Yeah. What going on social media? Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, sometimes it's just to see things and people, especially people, just so lost in their own. <sighs> you know yeah like it's just crazy as a woman in her 40s who I'm not fucking like I'm I, I'm educated I know what I'm doing I know mm. who I am I'm very comfortable in my own skin mm. I feel it I mm. feel it when you're on there you feel like this need yeah. for dopamine yeah. for like yeah, 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 fucking yeah. likes crazy. why is it not and it's and, and I can I'm conscious and aware of it and it's it's an it's it's addictive it's yeah. addictive I mean occasionally Jay Jay Jamie, he's actually coming, you know, one of his rare visits from France. He's coming here now. This Today. afternoon, Great. yes. We're going out for Chris, our Christmas. Fabulous. <laughs> mm. Won't end well. Um, but occasionally, like, he'd go, oh, just do something silly, and I'll do it on his account. And then, it, you know, it is. You just look at it, it's like, oh, my God, there's, there's 40,000 likes in yeah. two minutes. Yeah. And it's... Um, and I, that's nothing compared to, I mean, the, the real, the real kind of sort of mm. heavyweights of that world. Jesus. Mm. It's bonkers. My husband gave me a book called How to Break Up With Your Phone uh, uh, last oh, I, week. I, I, so I'm on it. Do you know it's really easy? I perfected that many, many, many years ago. Firstly, you have to slowly lower people's expectations about you. And what to expect of you what, on there. On there. Okay. Yeah. Bit by bit. Just mm. slowly start. And then you then you start leaving it and sort of mislaying it. Yeah. For periods of time. And then the sky starts to clear. And yeah. then no one expects you to do anything. To have a phone yeah. anymore. Wow. And you're free yeah. of a phone. I mean I have to sometimes have it, like if someone's not well. I, yeah. have to, I have them a lot, you know, and I mean, you can get in contact. My, my mum does get angry with me sometimes, to be fair. Yeah, for not picking up the phone. Well, for just not having a phone. Mm. Mm. But I just, I never liked phone. I, 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 I never liked phones. Uh, this is actually turning into my autobiography. I'm not, I don't need to do one after. It's this, your memoir. Actually. It's my memoir <laughs> in one go. Uh, I was, 
I've never liked phones. I'm still obsessed with the ladybird, by the way. I can't get oh, past well, this, it. This is this is this is from that period. I hated phones so much. Yeah. And there was some. I remember. I can't remember who it was, but I had to phone someone to say thank you for something. Right. And I just didn't want to do it. So rather than do that, I went at night outside of the village to where the uh, uh, the telephone exchange was. Mm-hmm. I had a very little one, and undid it and pulled all the wires out, and then didn't did it. Then put it all back together. So that it wouldn't work, basically. So the whole village wouldn't work. But I, I wasn't trying to take everyone else out. I was just trying to take my house out, but I yeah. couldn't work out how to do that. Yeah. So yeah, I took the whole village out. And then you couldn't phone the person to say thanks. I didn't need to. The phone didn't, the phone didn't work, did it? <laughs> Again, hugely telling. That's yeah. incredible. No, but it's like it just shows I've never really been. I mean, I'm yeah. consistently not like phones. Yeah. I just don't like phones. I just yeah. don't like it. I'd much rather speak to someone in person. Am I in prison? You know, my old manager Chris always said that everything was cyclic and that, you know, if something was out of fashion, it would come back at some point. Mm. So it's a long one, this one, with with kind of sort of indie bands being not really... It's a shame as well. I mean, there are a few good bands still, but I just feel like everyone... I don't feel like people are making music like that anymore Mm. much. Mm. Like what? Like just people playing together. Mm. Yeah. Like young people playing together. And it's just, you know, they've all... I don't know. Mm. It's just the most important thing, you know, for, for music is is people being able to play instruments and you know yeah it's like I did the Jonathan Rush show yeah and he's like I can't believe it you're the first person in years who's come and actually sung and played well, actually, live for real without for real with Adler, oh yeah what's the word when you just yeah, yeah. mouth but, 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 or, or just music and a live vocal but 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 mimed mm. no mm. one plays live mm. anymore mm. Yeah, that's not okay. Well, it's, it's also not I, 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 fucking DJs, you know. Here we are. They're the ones. Holding my hand up. They're the ones who have... We fucked it all up. Really, really, really mm. made it hard for kids to want to go and learn instruments because it's, it's so easy not to. It's that's so the easy thing. not to. It's so easy not mm. to. I've got that in my house at the moment. I'm trying to get my kids to learn instruments because I was brought up learning yeah. instruments. And my husband is a music producer, and he's just—he's rap. He's into rap, making rap music. Yeah. He's like, they, they just need an MPC. Well, like, exactly. no, 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 give him a guitar and an MPC. Yeah. Like, anyway, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I—I I, I just feel the communal thing of making music together is something it's, we it's, mustn't lose. It's pure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Right. 
I wanted to ask about kind of being in your 50s now and what it's like and how it feels because from the outside you seem more relaxed than you've ever been more yeah I'm relaxed I mean I, I'm at peace I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm the best musician I've ever been mm. I, I sing better than I've ever sung mm. writing I love writing I find writing really, I mean it's difficult to write to write good words I find that that's not easy but music, making music, I still find pretty effortless. Mm. But I think that's because I do it all the time. It's your job. It's my job. It's yeah. like I do, I do, I try and do yoga every day. That's why I was late. Mm. But if you keep moving, you don't, you don't, you know what I mean? So it's the yeah. same with music. This is exactly why I wanted to talk to you for this podcast, because mm. your career is defined by change. Change, yeah. The world is constantly changing and it's exciting. And, and I think it's also, if you don't change, you don't have that ability. You lose your empathy with the modern world. And once mm. you use your empathy with today, you're, mm. where are you? You're, you become an artefact. Mm. And inevitably we're all going to become artefacts anyway. Mm. If we're lucky. I'm interested in that. Change is empathy. So the idea yeah. of learning how to change brings empathy yeah. because you have to adapt Absolutely. to people around you Absolutely. and other cultures. Yeah. 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 Got you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's a stag like being stagnant, you're just kind of fucking sitting in your own yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it could be comfortable, but yeah, you're not pushing yourself, so you're not making yourself vulnerable, are you? The more fear you have, the more chance there is that you will manifest that fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Because that's how the universe works. Mm-hmm. The universe does not understand fear. It just only understands joy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I really do. Can, can I ask you about faith? And yes. And what you have faith in? Uh, well, I've read a lot about f- faiths. I, I'm, I have a huge amount of faith in the transference of energy and mm. I'm not particularly tied to the tenets of uh, two, two three thousand year old scriptures but there's a lot of very interesting stuff and a lot of allegory in there that, that we misinterpret mm. completely you know you only have to have watched Dan Brown's films to, mm-hmm. uh, to know all about that yeah. <laughs> they make me laugh they do but I mean mm. You know, he does have a point. Mm. I mean, I used to have my own magic tree when I was a kid. What did that afford you? I used to bury things underneath it. I used to, you know, pray, mm. get energy from it. And then I left it for a while and I went for a walk with my mum back into this little village. When I came back home and I walked into the wood and uh, it was really quite magical because we were we were talking and this wind came and then we were next to the tree uh, and there was a, a, a pentangle, wood, big wooden pentangle had been constructed obviously by local witches. Around the tree? Around the tree, yeah, yeah, but not connected to... So um, you had identified this tree as... Well, who knows? Who knows? Right. It's, it's, yeah, it was it was one of those moments. So I've always... My mum's always been a bit witchy, so I've always... I mean, I'm... Hmm. I'm I'm, I'm a little bit witchy. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> we should all be a bit more witchy. 
Well, being witchy really just means being in tune with the the, the natural rhythms of right, of, nature. of your environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's all. And I and I thought about that because I know you have a place in Iceland, and this new album is inspired by that. Yeah. And um, Bjork always talks about nature as being God itself. Oh you know, God, yes, her version of that. Absolutely, I mean, everyone mm. in Iceland identifies with that. You know. Right. I mean, everyone believes in fairies in fact to build my house in the first place I had to employ a fairy lawyer to negotiate on the land the area because it was fairy land it's recognized as fairy land oh it's just absolutely absolutely officially by law in yeah you have you have to I mean it's not like a a parliament law yeah it's yeah yeah, it's considered very bad form if you don't uh, consult a, a, a some a fairy lawyer and a fairy lawyer is someone who can talk to them and negotiate the uh, the terms. You know, the, yeah, and I, every every time I go there, I, I you know I have this special place where I give them I give them presents and I and yeah. and, and anyone who stays there, I encourage them to do it. I don't yeah. know if everyone does it. Yeah, I make a big point of you must give the, them their yeah. offerings. Yeah. Damon, yeah. last question. Um, what would you still like to change, um, be it in your life or if you don't want to make any more changes there beyond you? Oh, I'm, I'm always believe. I mean, change. God, there's just so much that. I know, it's fast. It's fast. I really like to just change people's attitudes somehow make people slightly less fearful mm. but that is <laughs> oh, but do, do at think, the end of the day yeah. at the end of the day all I can do is just really just continue doing what I do and mm. see where it takes me mm. you know I just wish people more ex- just went more out of themselves once they once they get something that that feels solid they, they find it very difficult to leave that and 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 have the confidence to do something else that might, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it seems like success is so hard won that people, it becomes, it becomes like a tyranny in their lives to maintain it, maintain all the things that come with it. And yeah. really, it's all so ephemeral anyway. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I literally. <laughs> You've, I've said things to you, I don't think I've, I was saving for my memoir, but it's pointless now. There you go. No need for the memoir. Thank you so much to Damon Albarn for his time. I absolutely loved that conversation and I learned so much. Like I thought I knew everything there was to know about Damon, you know, from being such a fan of Blur and watching his career so closely over the years. I'm really grateful to him for being so open and generous. As I mentioned at the start, Damon's new album, The Nearer the Fountain, More Pure the Stream Flows, is out now. You heard some snippets of it in the episode. He will be touring the UK and Europe in February and March. Uh, We've put a link to the show dates uh, in the episode notes with all the details. So let me know what you thought of Damon, please. Share the podcast around send it to everyone you know who's a Blur fan who's a Gorillaz fan who's a Damon Albarn fan which is a music fan and if you're a fan of changes please don't forget to rate review and subscribe they're always so so appreciated and I'm going to be back next Monday for Valentine's Day with my husband (laughs) 
Yeah, Tom, otherwise known as Todd Letty, that's his production name, he's a music producer, uh, is going to be talking to me about his big changes, most notably his diagnosis of ADHD as an adult. Another hugely enlightening conversation and something that I hope that you'll really enjoy. Changes is produced by Louise Mason and I will see you next week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.